It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Welcome to On the Bench. Today we are doing a special mailbag edition of the show. Members from Knowles 24-7 submitted their questions, and now we're going to answer them. Um, I've got Chris Knee here with me. We are going to run a little give and go, but about five minutes before the show started, Brendan wedged himself in here as well, so, so we're at full strength. We'll call it full Hi. strength. Hi! We're ready to go. Um, you guys know it, it's not just me and Chris. You got Brennan here, so you'll get more words per minute than you ever expected. Um, but before we get going, I want to let you know that On the Bench is brought to you by Market Square Liquors in the lounge at Market Square with a great selection of beer, wine, and spirits, including some awesome bourbon barrel picks from our own Brendan Sinone. Market Square Liquors is a Tallahassee staple for a reason. Go check them out. Um, right there off Timberlane Road. All right. Chris, how you doing? Fantastic, Josh. Thank you for asking. No problem. Brendan, thank you for joining us. I know you're happy about it. All right. I got the message board here. Uh, Mariner51, he wants to know, how much of the inconsistencies or downright bad defense is due to injuries, um, considering the injuries to Miko or Robert Cooper and just players missing week to week. So is the inconsistencies due to key players being out due to injury? I think the first factor is that they're not very good on defense, but I think the absence of Hampson Nazar being the most significant one. He's a guy that cleans a lot up and helps uh, keep some of those plays that turn into, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70s to, you know, 10 to 15 mm-hmm. and that's something they need and that's literally something that the defensive coordinator yesterday referenced about his safeties needing to be better at doing so I you know I don't want to act like the defense would be really good if everybody was healthy because I don't think it would be but I think it would be better if it had a guy like Hampson Aslan back there in the back end yeah I definitely <laughs> think that uh the depth is hurt like Chris said it's a lack of talent so guys get hurt it's football um, and FSU's issue is, you know, the, they're just not very talented. Um, some, some starters aren't very talented, but especially certainly the depth. Brendan? Did Chris keep saying would-be on purpose there? No, I said Nazaldine. No, but you were saying like would-be, like would, W-O-U-L-D-E-E. Oh, no, like, no. Like five times in a row. Come you on, man. To... You know me. I've been up for like 13 minutes at this point <laughs> at 8, 10 a.m. My brain is not processing at that high of a rate in order to do something that advanced. <laughs> you got legitimate cranky with me. Uh, the secondary, just like this isn't an excuse uh, because I, I agree wholeheartedly with Chris. Like the, What we're seeing is the defense isn't very good. Uh, injuries aren't helping though. Even Hampson Nazarene, like Chris said, is kind of the trash man. Like he, he cleans everything up and, and helps prevent those big plays. You also had Renardo Green out against Louisville and Miko Dotson. I was expecting Dotson to kind of start to, to distinguish himself as a starter. So those are three starters in the secondary that were out more than likely. Uh, big plays are going to happen. So yeah, just it further magnifies the issues on defense, but that's not the reason why the yeah. defense is and we, playing bad. Because we've seen those guys on the field while big plays are happening as well. Right. Guys like exactly. Leonardo Green, Miko Dotson, you know, they've been on the field when big plays are occurring as well. So um, I don't think them being out has really impacted uh, the defense. Um, I think it's just a bad defense. All right. Next question comes from Agent Cock. Um, I don't make the usernames. I just read them. With 2021 recruiting near its end and the staff likely saving room for transfers, who in 2022 do you consider must-haves at this stage for the rebuild to stay on track? Um, Chris, I would point to some of these early offensive tackles that FSU's got in on. What about you? I mean, I think it's a class where, again, you need a high-level quarterback. You probably want somebody like MJ Morris, and then you work your way down at that position. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some legacies. Julian Armella at offensive tackle. Marvin Jones Jr. at defensive end. Very important positions. Very talented dudes. Those are guys that you definitely want. Um, you know, I think Marvin Jones Jr. would be huge for them. I think a guy like Jaleel Skinner 
who they were in a real good spot with a few months back but are not near as good of a spot now would be a very talented versatile offensive weapon for them he's a he's a flex body tight end type um so those are some guys that come to mind for me that would help them quickly improve at certain positions yeah and you know we want to see we want to see him recruit better in state um i know one offensive tackle who uh daughtry richardson down there at edison uh, he's a six foot five 265 pound um, he's a three-star right now, but I think he's a guy that, you know, is important um, to continue to recruit Florida State. Coach Alex Atkins has a good relationship with him. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, 2022 recruiting is going to be really – the ceiling of 2022 is going to be dependent on how Florida State finishes this season. Um, if they continue to play like they did against Louisville, 2022 recruiting is going to be a struggle much like 2021 is if they can put together some wins down the stretch and start playing better, especially on defense, um, 2022 recruiting could open up a little bit, but it's going to be, uh, it's a long road ahead right now. I see it. I mean, I don't, I don't think 2022 is going to just suddenly flip a switch and recruiting is going to change. I agree. Uh, so much of the work you do with future classes, you lay the foundation in the class before. So right now you'd be doing a lot of work for 22 with kids on campus, visits, in-person relationships, going to see games where they're involved as well. That's not happening. So, you know, you're still essentially losing ground with a bunch. Now everybody in the country has lost ground with 22 to some degree, um, even more so than 21 because some schools are so far ahead in recruiting that so much work with 21 was done before March of this year. But uh, yeah, 22 is going to be a weird cycle, I think, because of the fact of how 21 has – or I'm sorry, 20 has gone mm-hmm. with the 21 class. Sunday gold. If I told you in August that our offensive <laughs> line would be better than our defensive line six games into the season, what would you have predicted our record to be? Right now, probably – go ahead, Josh. <laughs> no, no, I'm just trying to understand the question. So he's saying – in all, okay, so before the season started, if he told you the O-line would be better than the defensive line six games in, yeah, okay, I get it now. Um, I don't know. How much better? Oh, probably. I'd probably flip the record and make it yeah. four and two. I, Do we yeah, think I, the offensive line, though, is better than the defensive line? Statist- I I, statistically, I'm, yes. I think some of the offensive line stuff's being hidden by the system and by using Jordan Travis at quarterback. Do I think that group's playing better year over year? Certainly. I think there's no doubt about that. Do I think they've made major strides and they're suddenly a very vastly improved group? I don't think it's quite there. But uh, I do think they're on the road to being a better group. Dolphins aligns like a 4 out of 10 this year, right? Like if they were maybe a, a 1 in 2018 and then a 2 or 3 last year, like they're a little bit better. They're like pushing 5. They're pushing to be a, a average power five offensive line yeah but i think within the construct of the game i think the offensive line is getting it done more than the defensive line is i think that's what we're saying right well i think i think the question is about essentially preseason expectations of the d line being Mm -hmm. the strength of the team and if they had lived up to that and the o-line exceeded your expectations of what the d line was based on the question i'd say four and two yeah, you know, I still think at the end of the day, a team like Notre Dame and a team like uh, Miami are probably better than FSU. And, you know, if you want to say Miami's kind of a toss-up, well, UNC is probably also a toss-up. And, yes, I know this bad version beat UNC, but a lot of things went their way. So I'm going to split the difference and say they'd lose two games. <laughs> I think the offensive line has hit expectations and maybe slightly surpassed what we were hoping. We thought they could be slightly below average, and they've kind of gotten to that point where they're, like, at least serviceable. The defensive line has completely plummeted to what expectations were. We're talking about the defensive tackle group being dominant. Uh, it certainly hasn't been. The defensive ends mm-hmm. have not been productive. So I, I guess it depends on, like, what you thought the offensive line was going to be before. I don't know. I, if you told me the offensive line was better than the defensive line, I would have said they're in deep trouble. Um, so two and four seems about right. Bloom246 wants to know, if this APR relief thing passes, how many more – players do you expect to leave the program this upcoming offseason i mean i think it the number of expectation probably increases by two to four Mm -hmm. i don't i don't think it's drastic it just 
it alleviates those cases where you can't afford to depart from a guy because of what it could potentially do to your APR. That's now gone. I don't think it's one of these things where you just can literally clean house and get rid of everybody because APR doesn't exist. I don't, I don't think it's that. I think it's more the, the unique cases where you would have to stick with a guy just because of the APR reason that is now gone. How many guys were we thinking roughly were we kind of expecting like in our, in the back of our minds to depart before Probably that came out between four five and or, six five to seven. Yeah. yeah somewhere in that five to seven. Yeah. So yeah. yeah I, so maybe, I think the so number is going to be closer to 10 yeah, know, so, at yep. the end of the day. All right. We're all on the same page. Cool. Okay. Knowles 1998 wants to know if you had to pick one player from the past to come play on this team, who would it be? Mr. Derek Brooks. Hmm. I was going to go, I was going to go shade tree. Just for the pass rush and the the be able to do a little bit of everything. Um, I'll go Dalvin Cook, just because he bailed FSU out so many times. I just don't. I don't think Mr. Derek Brooks would allow a uh, defense to be what it is in the locker room. I, I think he'd be the vocal leader you need. Plus, he's damn good on the football field. There's a lot of vocal leaders on this team, Chris. You think there's room for another one? They got a lot of vocal ones. And the next are they, are they question lead, is, are they are they leading though? They're vocal. Are they leading? Those are two very um, different things. Bloom two four six has another one. At what Ooh. positions do each of you feel the staff needs to land a transfer at, and what positions is most important to land one at? Speed rush, pass defensive end. It changes your whole defense. I'm shaking my head. Uh, I absolutely agree. Imagine like a m- month or two ago, we would all have been saying offensive tackle. Yeah, like, I was going to say it has bit. definitely shifted. Like yeah. the need is glaring at defensive end, especially knowing that like Kendo is just not the answer. Like He's never going to be that elite pass rusher that you need him to be, um, whether he stays another year or five more years. Uh, so yeah, I, I agree with you guys. I think there's a uh, severe need for a pass rushing defensive end. Twitch. Twitch is needed. <laughs> and I think w- w- uh, what positions do each of you feel the staff needs to land a transfer at? Anywhere they can make themselves better at. Um, anywhere. Is there really a position that you would say, like, it's off limits? No, we don't really need a transfer here that can make us better. No. Um, Bad Bean wants to know, what's more of a disappointment? How Game of Thrones ended or, or the FSU defense? <laughs> the FSU also- defense. Yeah, I'll say this, the FSU defense. I didn't watch Game of Thrones at all until I started dating my girlfriend, and it was right when the final season started. So I only watched the final season of Game of Thrones. I loved it. I'll I'll sit here and tell you, I loved it. I only watched one season, the final season, but I thought it was great. The... The Night Watch or whatever episode, like the one in the the one in the north where they battled the Night King and and whatnot, was uh, was actually pretty spectacular. I know people were complaining because the channel was dark, but you know, just brighten the screen a little bit, you big babies. It was phenomenal. Should have ended there. But ended there, they would it would have been like like Michael Scott leaving the office. That's when it should have ended. Uh, FSU's defense should have probably ended in the first half against North Carolina. Hmm. Orlando Knowles wants to know: Does Purdy take over the QB position by year's end? Yes. Yeah, I I think think so. Uh, Noel Remorse, he's asking, some people like to watch it burn. I want the dermatology story. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) That was probably a good reason to shove Brendan off this Zoom call right now. Can I just say three words? Keep it rolling, Newberg. Keep it rolling. Jack's Noel 92. Um, It seems that the offense has bought into Mike Norvell and Kenny Dillingham's scheme. On the other hand, outside of a few players, it seems that the defense as a whole has not bought into four. Why do you think that is? And have you heard anything from sources on why the players are hesitant? I I think it's easier for offense to buy in. Offense is easier to have success in, in the sense of sometimes it's an individual making a play more. So the defense has to be a group making the play in most cases. Um, and I just think offense is easier to come by. Norvell is also more known as an offensive guy, so I think that plays a part in it too. Do I think the defense is bought in? Certainly not. Why the reason for that? I think because of the rotating door of people that they've dealt with, players that have been through here, things they're trying to do. I just think there's a group that getting buy-in from for anybody that you put in front of them was going to be tough. I think it's been especially tough with the results being poor. Hmm. I agree with Chris. Uh, the only thing I'll say and, and add to that is that 
the buy-in with the defense has been kind of questionable since obviously, I mean, the results speak for it, but uh, since the start of the season, there has been an issue with guys investing in the scheme mentally and, and wanting to buy into what Adam Fuller's teaching them. There's a lack of, I don't want to, I guess I would call it trust. So there's some, some inherent level of trust where they're not feeling like they believe he's putting them in the right place. Uh, now where that stems from, I yeah. think Chris's oh. observation of like, revolving door uh having how many defensive schemes the last few years like that doesn't help um but at a certain point like you got to make plays too uh, and i think that's kind of the disconnect right now there are guys that bought in asante samuel jr emmett rice those two immediately come to mind there's i think ronaldo five, green yeah has, there's uh, a few but there's certainly others that you, you can't point to and say the same thing so it's a mixed bag over there also this uh mythical buy-in like, guys could double buy-in. Guys still, buy-in when they're success. Yeah, right. it's still not going to help them. I mean, did guys miss tackles because they're not bought in? Did guys take bad angles because they're not bought in? Did guys – are they not <laughs> I, I think, the man across from I them think people on equate bought in? some of that to effort, and I think yeah. the defense's effort overall on the season can be questioned. I think it's truthfully been better in the last few outings. I don't think effort was a key issue at Louisville as much as – they got their doors blown off, um, you know, but I think the effort has been fairly good since the Notre Dame outing right. late in the Notre Dame outing. And I think buy-in also kind of it has the word trust also kind of factors in there for me too. And that means trusting what you've been taught, trusting the technique that you've been, uh, that's been preached to you in practice, trusting the scheme. And we saw that against, against Louisville uh, fall apart where guys, and Emmett Rice talked about this after the game, uh, guys freelancing, guys going off script and, and not doing what they're told to do because they don't have trust uh, for whatever reason that, of what they've been taught during the week. Uh, and so you see someone like, uh, for example, like a Fabian Lovett, he's, he's spilling a play to the outside on, this, on a stretch play, and all of a sudden he just takes an inside angle on it and allows the ball to bounce outside of him. That's just not trusting where you're supposed to, to be and what you've been told. I'm sure they've not, they haven't taught. I'm sure Odell Higgins told Fabian Lovett, you don't let someone cross your face like that. You don't let it spill outside. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. There's just there's a level of trust and buy-in that hasn't happened yet. I think you guys are right. It's about success. You have to have consistent success to start buying in. Um, until that happens, though, I, it's just going to be kind of these same results. Mr. Foreman wants to know: Is the issue the players or the coach or the scheme on defense? If both player, if we kind of just answered that with the buy-in, um, what's the real story with Trey Lawson knockout of Jawan Williams? I love this. We tell the story <laughs> of Trey Lawson getting knocked out by Jawan Williams, but he wants to know the real story. The real story is there was a skirmish, as it's you know, as happens in preseason camp. It's hot. Guys are tired. They've been hitting each other for for weeks on end they want to get into hitting someone else and those two got into what initially started as kind of like a slap fight uh Juwan Williams took off his helmet for some reason which I just you don't do that during a fight like that actually protects you you know that's what it's there for and Trey Lawson who has a military background uh clearly thrown a punch before he he has long arms and he threw it and Juwan Williams is a big guy so that's what was funny it was like the six foot three guy with freakishly long arms against this like six seven giant uh, reaches up high, clocks him in the forehead, and Jawan Williams just kind of like got – it almost looked like a cartoon where he got kind of – you could see the birds like chirping around his head, just kind of spun for like a second, and then just plopped down onto the ground. He was out cold for like five seconds. Then they had to go for a walk together. No, I don't think they went for a walk together that one, Chris. I think it was another fight. I think uh, Willie kicked Trey Lawson out of practice and the program <laughs> permanently. Uh, that was one of the few times you saw Willie MF and someone. Good times. All right. Do we see any – and this is his last question. Do we see any coaching changes on our staff after the season? That's a good one. I'm not entirely convinced of it. I, I never rule it out. You've covered college football long enough. You understand that coaching changes are fairly regular. It's a unique, odd year. People know the reasons why for that. I'm not convinced that they make changes. I think some of the issue for FSU is the fact that there's been too many changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's I how- agree. Uh, there's nothing there, like, behind the scenes, source-wise, that I could say that, yeah, I think there's going to be changes. I'm not hearing that at all. Would I be surprised? No. Um, we see coaches tinker with their staff every year, especially after the first year. So I wouldn't be surprised, but I got nothing going on behind the scenes that would lead me to believe there's going to be changes right now. It's a pandemic year, too, guys. You know what I mean? Like, it's we're grading on the curve. 
So I don't know. I know people want to know if they're going to get rid of Adam Fuller. Like that's I'm sure what the question is kind of getting at is what people want to know is does Adam Fuller make it through this year if the defense keeps regressing? Uh, you got to give like this is just such a tough year to judge someone by. Now if there's struggles next year or something, then yeah, you got to thoroughly evaluate it. You can't tire a uh, tire program to someone if, if they're not getting it done at a pretty pivotal position. That was Mike Norvell's most important hire, but I don't know. I think that's too early to to start saying he he got he's got to go. I'm I'm not a fan of having to revamp everything on defense again after one year. Big Earn, Josh. When are we getting the Jimbo Texas podcast? Lord knows there's nothing interesting going on here at the moment. Um, since I know I can't tell the story without some some solid references, I'm waiting until I can get uh, Jeremy Pruitt. Tim Brewster and Sinceri on the pod. When I I'll, I'll do it over the summer. I'll, I'll get those three on the show with me, and um, we'll tell the story. Otherwise, Sal, Sal or Tino? Sal. Okay. <laughs> Sal. We need to sell tickets for that. That needs to be like a Viet. Uh, we could start. Hey, we could start a Patreon podcast for. Bigger and also wants to know. We've heard multiple times that Norvell's teams have have a tendency to be heavily penalized, yet no one seems to be alarmed by that. Has anyone, and I'm going to throw this to Brendan, deep dived into his time at Memphis? Like we're talking pre-snap procedure penalties that come with, from preparation, blah blah blah. He goes on and on. Oh, it's so like what the penalties, what type of penalties? As the penalties here pile up. Uh I mean, Mike Norvell's penalties at Memphis were always pretty high. They weren't leading the nation high like Willie Taggart at FSU the last few years, but they were usually like in the hundreds. Uh, I haven't gone through a deep dive to see like, are these encroachment issues? Are these alignment things? Are they, you know, personal foul penalties? I have not done that. I, I don't know, but people correlate. It's weird. Like with penalties when FSU was, was in the eighties and nineties and kicking people's asses, like, they were committing a bunch of penalties and everyone was fine with it because it kind of fit into the narrative of like, oh, they just play fast and, you know, mistakes are going to happen sometimes. When you're losing, the penalties are, oh, you're not disciplined and don't know what you're doing as a coaching staff. Uh, this team is more organized. It is not necessarily more disciplined uh, than it was under Willie Tyre. It is more organized. There's less of those type of issues, although there were some up in Louisville this past weekend. But, no, I, maybe it's worth diving into a little bit to see uh, how those penalties occurred at Memphis. Big drip note, what's the JUCO market looking like for FSU this signing period? And can you provide us an update for two prospects, DT Jalen Williams and Ramel Webb? Um, the JUCO market, they're going to hit it. Uh, we've seen um, a couple recent linebacker offers go out. Um, offensive tackle is probably the position you're asking about. Right now, there are no offensive tackle offers out. It's a pretty weak year at offensive line in the JUCO ranks. Um, I know FSU continues to evaluate, watch film. I mean, they're, you know, they'd love to get in there and recruit a JUCO offensive tackle that could come in and make a difference. Um, but right now, I, I think the, the transfer market is going to be more fruitful for the offensive line than probably the JUCO. Um, to answer your question on an update for two prospects, um, Jalen Williams and Ramal Webb, I spoke to Ramal Webb last week. There's a story up, or I'm sorry, this week on Knowles 24-7. He has not been offered by FSU yet. He spoke to David Johnson last Friday. That was the most recent contact he had. David Johnson said he liked him a whole lot, but he wants to go back and show his film to Norvell and the rest of the staff and see what they have to say. Um, I think they're gonna they're gonna wait, see more film. I don't I don't know if we see Ramal Webb get offered in the short term, meaning this week or next week. Um, Jalen Williams is sort of in the same boat. He's a guy that FSU has offered, but they continue to watch. Um, Jalen Williams, there's a, um, there's an assistant coach or an off-field coach on FSU staff. Help me out with the name here. Uh, it's quality control coach Slade Williams. Or Slade, uh, Slade Buckley, I'm sorry. Slade, Slade Buckley. Buckley. I believe Slade, Slade Buckley and his, uh, his dad I'm, is the coach I'm, at Jones College. You didn't cut me off. I was about to say Well, you that. guys didn't even know his name. I interviewed the guy last well, week. I, I had but there's a reason why I was getting Jalen Williams. So anyway, Whatever. what I'm um, trying to say is if Jalen Williams was a can't-miss defensive tackle prospect, they would be all over him. Um, they got good intel because, you know, one of their coach's fathers is, is over there. 
um, one of their QC's fathers. So I think they're, they're watching Jalen Williams. They're in contact with them. They're recruiting him. I wouldn't say either is a priority recruit right now. So I wouldn't say really anybody in the JUCO market, FSU's kind of going all in on right now. Who was the linebacker they offered last week, Chris? DeQuavian? De- it, it was last night. Well, yeah, DeQuavian Strong, who's a Mississippi State commitment, mm-hmm. got an offer last week. On everything, he's not answered the phone, but on right. everything I've been able to find out about him and talking to Mississippi State folks, they'd be really surprised if he went anywhere but Mississippi State. He's from Mississippi. He's been committed to him in Tensor more there in January. He's very solid. Last night, they offered Byron Young at Georgia mm-hmm. Military College, a linebacker, Deanne Fox type. Uh, talented kid. He's blown up right now. In the last 48 hours, he picked up FSU, Georgia, Tennessee, Auburn. Um, one Juco who I think is out there that's worth a look is Jordan Moko. He's an offensive tackle at Snow College. He's from Australia. Um, to my knowledge, FSU hasn't really, you know, went all in on him or taken He's on the radar. I mean, they've evaluated him. They right. know about him. Yeah. But I'm a little surprised that he's one they have not at least kicked tires a little bit more on. I think he's a pretty talented guy. I think he's going to play at a high-level P5 school. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty much all the JUCO names that are on our radar right now. Um, not many, but there could be more. Uh, Maker's Marksman, part one, is a two-part question. Part one, if you had, if you had towards one extreme or the other – would you assume that A4 gets a pass this year regardless of results or B, he currently in a pressure cooker to retain employment? Uh, I think it's probably more on the B side. I don't know if he's in a pressure cooker to retain his employment, but I definitely think he's in a pressure cooker. I don't think he just feels like he's getting a pass right now. Yeah, I don't think he wants a pass. I mean, you listen to Adam Fuller speak, he's frustrated. Yeah. He'd much rather that defense be doing things at a much higher level. He's very disappointed in his position group, specifically the safeties with some of what they're doing. Um, I think he keeps pressure on himself. But I, at the end of the day, I do think to some degree there will be a pass granted for this year and the circumstances of this year and it being year one for him being here on the staff. What would it take for that to – and I agree with you, Chris. What would it take for that goodwill of, like, it's being a weird year – to, to where you can't excuse it anymore. Like, if they're giving up 50 points a game, like, at what point do you be like, They give right, up 1,000 yards in a game to Clemson. I, I mean, were... if on the back half of the year you see no improvement, you know, defense continues to allow similar or more yardage-type issues, point-type issues, uh, explosive plays-type issues, if there's no improvement and, and certainly if there's regression, then I think it adjusts the conversation. All right, part two is next year's starting kicker currently on the roster. Mm, I, I think the hope still. I think the hope still is that Fitzgerald can figure it out, but I think there's a little concern about that right now with, you know, what he's done. Yeah, I don't feel great about the kicking situation. That, that mm-hmm. position's so tough. Like when you get something, when somebody gets stuck in your head of that position, <coughs> the yips, whatever you want to call it. Uh, that's a toughie. And that's one of those where in the portal you probably could find a kid who's kicked at this level who has results at this level, and you kind of know what it is. So if you find someone you think's better than what you have, you might invest there. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Chris, I'm going to throw this one to you. Uh, WM Steen 1 wants to know, have you heard anything about a new AD, or will that be something for the new president to take on? I have not, uh, but the plan for a long time has been to allow the next guy to make the next hire. So with Thrasher's plan to retire, I do expect the next the next president to hire the next AD. Yeah. Um, how quickly that transition happens from when Thrasher moves on, the new president comes in, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I truthfully haven't spoken to David Coburn very much in the last couple months. I need to get up with him. Uh, several questions asked, you know, financials about the football season. I know there's a question in here about that. You know, I don't have a great feel for that right now where things stand as well as just everything else that's involved in that mm-hmm. job and the future of that job. Noel Rebel wants to know, does Norvell lack of championship ties as an assistant hinder his ability to recruit coaches for his 2.0 staff? DC safety, wide receiver, defensive tackle assistants need to be looked at for replacement soon. Are you confident that FSU will be a major player in the port? Oh, okay, so let's answer. I guess it's two questions. Um, does he lack championship ties and assistant hinder his ability to recruit coaches for his 2.0 staff? 
I think money hinders his his ability to hire what you would consider. I think what you're getting at, you know, coaches with championship ties and whatnot. Um, Florida State's in a in a, is in a precarious situation. I mean, we saw that with Willie Taggart that he wasn't able to really go out and get the top assistant coaches in the country, at least the at least by uh, salary standards, the top assistants in the coach country. He had an issue with that. And at this point, I mean, I think that's still going to be an issue for Florida State. So it needs to be some sort of balance between young up-and-coming coaches that are good recruiters that do have some time. I mean, you look at Marcus Woodson, you look at Kenny Dillingham, you like uh, David Johnson, and then you mix those in with Alex. I think that's more of the the staff makeup that you're going to see moving forward, not these big, well-known names that are going to come in. It's tough for me to really answer that because I feel like the staff he hired is largely the staff he wanted. Yeah. Um, And in the sense of plan A types, not, you know, this Mm -hmm. is the only guy we could get. So I I don't know. I mean, I have not seen him go and pursue others to point to that and say, you know, yes, he can or no, he can't. Well, we saw Dan, you know, Dan Lanning. We we know that. Yeah. But pulling that guy away from Georgia for right roughly a similar job is but i think Chris, i don't i don't think there's many schools in the country that could do that especially I, when his think, next stop was going to be as a head coach right. somewhere so you want him to restart it all over again exactly. for a year rebuilding no i agree sense? i agree i just think that i'm not saying no rebel thinks this but there are a lot of people on our message board that do think that florida state can just kind of snap their fingers and go grab a assistant from a Georgia or a Texas A&M, you know, or a pro, like a program that's not Clemson or Alabama. But it's, it, it's not a Dan, Norvell Dan Lan- issue, though. No, Dan right, Lanning would be a fool to leave Georgia and that defense and what they're doing yeah. to come to FSU and this defense and what they're doing if his next goal is to be a head coach. Like, to me, yeah. other than resume building, putting an high school on there, it's, it's a foolish step, in my opinion. Now, yeah. if FSU had $2 million to throw around at a defensive coordinator then i i don't think people it's been proven that guys will leave good jobs to come play from or coach for mike norvell like that's already there's evidence of that so uh, this isn't the same deal as when willie was having like unless you were looking for a job and have a whole lot of options like willie struggled to attract top coaches unless they're willing to open up you know the 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 checkbooks this isn't the same thing Second part of his question, are you confident that FSU will be a major player in the portal? There are four major needs that should be filled by college-ready players, DN, wide receiver, safety, offensive tackle. Um, we are convinced that FSU will be uh, um, a major player in the portal. They already are pretty active, you know, reaching out to several that have already hit the portal. We, we've seen this really since Mike Norvell arrived. They're going to be very thorough. Uh, they're going to do their due diligence. They're going to reach out and make initial contact with almost everyone that hits the portal at a position of need, like you said. Um, so, yeah, it, and it's only going to heat up between now and, geez, now and when. When does the portal ever stop? When and when? It doesn't. Free agency is here to stay. Um, I, I think the other part of that question is sort of mm-hmm. can FSU win some of those battles? Mm-hmm. They're going to lose a lot of them. You know, a lot of portal kids that enter, especially at those some of those primary positions, offensive tackle, defensive end, the best schools in the country are going to try to add one at those spots because they're the best schools in the country and they want to make sure they have great depth at those spots or they need to replace a guy who went pro unexpectedly or whatever the reason is. Those schools are going to be far more appealing than a Florida State. Mm-hmm. And that, that's where the crux of the issue will be. Now, the issue is FSU has to go and get guys like a – Devonte Love Taylor, Fabian Love, a Jay Sean Corbin contributors who help them, who make their depth better, who could be potential starters. That's where they have to win in the portal. But they're not going to contend for the best of the best in the portal. It's going to be very difficult for them to do that, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. All right, Noel, uh, NYC Noel ninety two. Not saying he needs to go, but if Odell were to quote retire at the end of the season, who would ideally be on the top of the list to replace him? I like the questions that make me like readjust my seat. I I'm not sure. I uh, you know I haven't dived into the defensive tackle history of Mike Norvell's assistants. I I don't know. I mean I I've not given that thought at this point. Who's your boy from uh, who's now at FAU, Josh? Who was at NC State? Well, Kevin Patrick. Yeah, I think Kevin's going to eventually end up at um, Miami. 
He's making his way down there. Um, but uh, Jimmy Brumball is available. Uh, no, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know. I, I don't. It's going to come from the Mike Norvell tree, like we said. You know, Florida State's not really in a position where they can like go poach. Like Tracy Rocker at South Carolina makes um, like five and a quarter. Can Florida State go and poach a guy like that? At this point? You mentioned I, I, that it's going to be the, the Mike Norvell tree, Josh. Uh, the defense really hasn't been the Mike Norvell tree. I mean, Fuller has a year. No, but I'm saying, like, so say, like, but that's what I'm saying. Like, if it's not from the tree, is it, do you think financially Florida State, Tracy uh, Rocker makes like 525000 at at South Carolina. Can they outbid South Carolina for somebody? That may – I don't know. It's interesting. I think it would depend on the quality of the coach. I, I think the bigger question is what kind of coach. Like, do they want to go with an X and O's guy? Or is that a position where you say, like, we need to upgrade the recruiting pedigree on our staff? upgrade the recruiting. I mean, they need yeah. to get better players in there. So would you go with someone who has some Florida ties that can coach the defensive line, the interior line? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't want to. Every I've been I've been saying Kevin Patrick's name for ten years, so I can't really get up on the table and <laughs> do that again. But like a Derek LeBlanc, uh, he's a defensive line coach at Arkansas. I think he makes like you know in the two hundreds. I think he'd be a possibility. He's in his forties. Um, I don't know. To get, Chris, to get Chris going, can, can Charlie Strong coach defensive tackles? <laughs> Wasn't a was oh Sinone, I hate you, buddy. Um, Deke Adams was with him at Memphis, right? A couple years ago, so. not last year, but a couple years ago. He's a guy that I, you know, if I had to throw a name out there, he's a guy that I would probably lean on. Okay, very good. I think that answers it. Um, Donnell and Noel, anything new on Hamza seems weird for a kid that was speculated may have season ending injury traveling to every away game. I, I, think I can't has figure a out season-ending injury. I can't why does that bother out. people that he travels with the team? We've heard that a couple of times. I don't understand why people are like clinging to that as as a smoking gun, one way or the other. Wait, but what's the smoking gun? What are people that saying? he travels? Uh, people are just like, oh, it's weird. There may be something more to it. He travels with the team each game, uh, and I mean, it is interesting that he warms up. We've talked about this before. Like he warms up a little bit differently each game. Uh, I don't know. Uh, like, are they thinking like it's a game time decision? I, I just, people keep asking about why is he travel? Why is he so involved with the per game? I think that's a good thing. I like, I don't know. There's like anything more to it than he's just being engaged and keeping himself like ready to go. If he does come back this season. Yeah. I've always been a little pessimistic that we see Hamza at all. You voiced that on the last podcast, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> I don't – I mean, I don't think there's anything new. We talked to Mike Norvell. He says the same kind of thing every time. We're going to get hams on the field when he's ready and when we feel he's ready and when they feel – you know, they, it's always this weird thing that he goes back and forth on whenever we bring it up. So, they haven't been very forthcoming. No, nothing new. Um, Mike Norvell does not like talking about injuries, if you guys haven't gathered that. Yeah. No, he doesn't. J-Rod31, if Brendan was an animal, what would he be? Uh, I, I go with a koala. I like that. Yo, koalas are actually really, really vicious. They're tiny and they're mean. Okay, well then, no, it wouldn't be that. What would you go with, Chris? Um, a kangaroo. Okay. What would you guys be? Um, why are you, why are you guys speaking to marsupials? I can see that. I can see Josh being a lion. He's got the main thing going right now. He kind of looks like a lion. What would you I'm be, Chris? Probably a walrus. I mean, come on, I kind of look like one. I think no, I I I would say Chris is uh Chris is more like a uh, like a mule, and don't take that in the wrong way. Like you're just, trying, are you trying to call me a jackass? No, well no, like I'm trying to say like you are like you carry the load, you go at this one pace. It, it might not be the pace, you know, it might not be the fastest pace, but it's your pace. But you do it every day, so yeah, you're a mule. Uh, what Josh, would this FSU team be as a whole? Too. Hey, real quick while we think about that, Josh, specific, like a specific sort of lion is, um, and there's an episode of South Park where they're making fun of the lion, the witch in the wardrobe, and the lion's like kind of like really like talking slow and methodically and then just like out of nowhere rips a joke every now and then, like a pull my finger joke. I feel like that's Josh. He, he acts all sophisticated and calm and then it'll come off the top rope with something very lowbrow. 
Uh, what so animal you, would this FSU team be as a whole? A turtle? Uh, I don't know. To, no, someone would help a turtle if it was trying to make it to the other side of the road. <laughs> um, I don't know. <laughs> All right. TB Golf. Uh, <laughs> we don't know as far as the animals go. That's the one that stumped us. TB Golf, has there ever been a time where you all have wanted to quit 24-7 as a result of FSU's performance slash disaster state of the program? No, I've wanted to quit 24-7 many times, but never because of a performance <laughs> on the field. The closest I ever got, and it wasn't on the field, but it was when I was driving to Birmingham and they didn't get James Foster, and neither of you guys told me that as I continued to drive further and further up. To, no, sorry, Montgomery. That's not Montgomery. True. You didn't have service. That really yeah. scarred him, you know that? No, I've never been close enough to quit over the performance of the team. Now, I will own up. It's like the two or three year or three year anniversary of me yelling at one of my bosses prolifically on the phone in October because, well, I was covering Jimbo Fisher and the program was burning down and we had numbers to meet that were asinine. That's probably that if I had to pick a moment, that's probably the moment. But I wasn't thinking about quitting. I was just venting and yelling at my boss. It was truthfully pretty fun. Brendan had a front row seat. Yeah, I, I learned a long time ago that um, you kind of have to detach as a fan from from when you're doing this because as a fan, it's perfectly normal to watch a performance like you saw against Florida State and Louisville on a Saturday night and say, all right, that's it. I'm not turning ESPN back on until Friday, you know, or Saturday, till next game day. Like, that's perfectly logical. You don't, you know, after what you saw. So I've always had to disconnect myself and just kind of think back to like, all right, well, I'm just going to tell the story. Like whatever's happening now, like, cause I am an FSU alum. Like I, I did go there and everything. So there is a, a part of me that is a fan, but like when it comes to covering a bad performance, I just think about like, what's the story? Like what, 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 what do we need to tell? What's the angle? And just yeah, I, one, one thing I have learned in recent years with the program being pretty poor is that I have to rewatch bad losses immediately. <laughs> if I don't, I get to like that Sunday afternoon when I'm watching the NFL and I'm just like, I don't know if I'm going to actually sit down and waste my time watching and that. watch really bad football. So, and, and then so Chris I, texts us about the bad football. Like it, it's, it's, it's this masochism. No, I love that. Company as well. No, I love when Chris if I, if I don't, I don't do it, but watch it. If I don't do it by noon on Sunday, it's <laughs> probably not happening. That that's the point I'm at with bad losses is I just, I got to do it. You know, I might watch it immediately, especially with the night games. I usually try to watch it immediately before I go to bed. And again, when I wake up, so I have three watches in at that point. But if I don't do that, oh boy, it's a struggle bus. I'm just you know what I should do? Monday rolls I, around and I'm on to the next one. We're on to Cleveland. <laughs> I should turn Chris's group text thread of his uh, rewatch into content. Yeah. Yeah. That would be, I, People would pay for that. Hey, I just asked. I just asked my wife what kind of animal she thinks Florida State's football team would be. She won't say it here on the podcast, though. But I'll, I'll repeat it for her. She thinks it'd be like a little ankle biter dog that that goes. Yes. And, that and then once, once you sense. once you step to it, they kind of back off a little bit. And as they as you walk away, they keep barking. Yes. All right, Willie Knoll, any information, even preliminary projections on the financial realities of FSU's twenty twenty football season? Obviously, revenues will be down, but how much down? And is there a, quote, plan for dealing with the shortfall? I mentioned I'd need to talk to Coburn. This is mm-hmm. part of that. I, I don't know. I, I know they were extremely concerned uh, going into the year. Even with a season with TV money coming in, some other revenue, it's still obviously going to be drastically down from what they're used to. They've tried to prepare themselves as best they can for things being down by cutting costs in other ways. But I, I need to have a conversation with Coburn and at least get a better idea of where it's going to be. I don't think he'll provide the numbers because I don't think the numbers are truthfully done at this point. But, um, yeah, I need to have that conversation. Which non-senior player are you most disappointed in their lack of development? Non-senior? Non-senior. Uh, I mean, I'd probably, from the beginning of the season, probably go with Blackman. Um, you know, he's the guy that, they were going to hand the reins to to go at the start, and many of the issues that have plagued him throughout his career were still plaguing him in the time he played. So he's probably the first guy I go with. Blackman's a good one, Chris. Uh, Jaden Lars would be. I know he's coming off the knee injury, so I want to cut him some slack and playing a new position, but he hasn't seemed to get a whole lot better at it through half the season. And uh, 
yeah, for someone who made a nice impact towards the end of this freshman year, we just haven't seen the growth from our blue chip recruit yet that we would like to see. It's been yeah, tough. Yeah, Akeem Denson went on defense. They moved mm-hmm. him from, to his more natural position, and uh, the results have been poor. How about, like, the whole wide receiver room? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, Pokey's – we're remembering that the last game of the se- – or the last game that we saw, which was obviously dreadful – like, they were pretty good in big moments against North Carolina. Like, Keyshawn Hilton coming down with that catch uh, downfield, uh, impressive. Warren Thompson had a nice catch on the sideline. Like, they beat North Carolina. Yeah, but, I mean, Warren Thompson's made. development as a whole. I mean, yeah, he, yeah. Like, he's made literally two plays this season. But his development as a whole. Uh, what yeah. about Jordan Young? I mean, we, we can't get much production out of him. We haven't seen any development out of him, really. Um, not into the player that we hoped he'd be two years in. Or how many years in is Jordan Young at this point? Two? Uh, three. He had a redshirt freshman year. Right. Yeah, same as Warren. You know. Yeah. Um. I think the. I think maybe that room is the. The linebackers too. Julio McCray. Oh, we were hoping would take a step mm-hmm. forward. And remember the spring he had. Yeah, the spring. Caleb, he, he's, it's all been downhill since then. The spring for the for the for the decades. Uh, Kalen Deloach to lesser extent too. But those were two guys who were going to factor in, uh, that have kind of gotten pushed out of their rotation out of position group that that really needs help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot, unfortunately. There's like six or seven guys we could look at. Jeez, uh, this one's a little – name your starting 11 on both sides of the ball. I don't think we have time for that. <laughs> In the last game of the season. Oh. Uh, well, Chubba Purdy. I, th- I think he, they're really asking – I think this is just a Chubba Purdy question, right? right. He's making you right. name 22 guys just so you just say Chubba Purdy. I mean, why don't you just start Chuba and Jordan Travis like they did against uh, Miami, but you have the, the two quarterbacks who could run now. I, I like that. Let's just commit to it fully. Gadget City, baby. All right. Um, Doc White also wants to know, rank all the position groups on the team from worst to best in your overall grade for the coaching staff. Worst to best? <laughs> I mean, I think the linebackers Linebackers. Yeah, uh, yeah. Wide receivers are down there too. D lines down there. Best safeties think, have been pretty abysmal this year. I think the best is running backs. Running backs. Um, Quarterback maybe after that, just because the well, Travis Travis that's giving you that shot in the arm, but we also think he's limited in what he can mm-hmm. do. But just so far, uh, I do think the interior of the defensive line's been better the last couple of weeks. Like they're starting to kind of, but the whole collective defensive front not not great. O line is you know on the group that's doing better. Um, tight end group in the middle there. Yeah, tight end smack dab in the middle. They don't get McDonald the ball enough, um, but him and Press and Daniel have handled their job well. Yeah. Uh, overall grade for the coaching staff, I'll go with a C minus for now. I think I have to go a little bit lower and go D. I just because D is for defense, and my God, that defense is awful. Uh, oh man, I was gonna go like C plus B minus. I feel bad going the other, the other direction yeah, you, now. Like I mean, go with yeah, you, you do you, baby. Yeah, we're not I'm pressuring gra- you. I'm grading on a curve here. It's a pandemic year. I do think the team does look better coached than it did before, but we probably would have given the previous staff like D minuses and Fs. So I don't know. I think it's better than it was a year ago. I know it doesn't look that way with the win loss record. Uh, Brennan Knowles 86 says you mentioned on the pod that you'd heard to some effect that there'd been apprehension among the defensive players to buy into the system. Anyone mm-hmm. able to elaborate on that a bit more or potentially know why that's been the case? We kind of hit we, on that. We, we hit on that earlier. Yeah, we yeah. hit on that. Okay. Bloom two, four, six. Uh, he's really been firing off these questions. I know we didn't get to see much of Norvell's staff recruiting ability this off season. Uh, which recruiting setting do you believe? Which recruiting setting do you believe Norvell and the staff could be most effective in? And which are you most excited to see how they work, preferably of the spring game, camp season, or big bonding event like SNL or FNL, usually at the end of July? I think I can speak for all of us to safe to say that we'd most like to see them in a camp setting. Can we all agree on that? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I, I would love to yeah. see them evaluate some guys and mm-hmm. coach up high school. I think that's their bread and butter. Yeah. I think spring for them is always going to be a steady trickle. They're always going to try to get kids in constantly. Mm-hmm. And then spring game, obviously, is a bigger event because it is an event. But I think camp season is where they kind of can separate themselves if they want to be an evaluation staff because they're going to be able to bring kids in that they're not sure on. They like the film. They like what they saw in the spring. They've got a little bit of a relationship. But they need to run him through what they need to run him through and then go from there. And that 
that's kind of the place where if you're going to rebuild a program because you're not going to get the elite of the elite, you're going to have to get guys you're going to have to develop. I think that's the place where you can separate yourself. So, yeah, I would go camp season as well. Hmm. Bloom246 says, obviously, Nico Markial is the number one QB prospect we're in a good position for in the 2022 class. But is the staff pursuing Sam Horn? Um, I believe Sam's a 2022 quarterback out of Georgia. Any idea who the staff would prefer if they had to choose? Personally, I think Sam Horn should be our number one QB target for the 2022 class. Well, Nico Markial, um, I'd be careful how you word that. You said, is the number one QB prospect we're in a good position? Okay, I can, I can get with that. I don't, I don't know if uh, Markial is FSU's number one overall prospect, but yes, he is at the top of the board along with MJ Morris, who, who uh, Chris spoke about earlier. Um, I think they're involved with Sam Horn. I'm sure they know who he is, but at, to this point, he is not their number one QB target. I'd put, you know, like I said, MJ, Nico, um, maybe a couple others above him for now. Kerry D. Knoll. We all know FSU is going to be active in the portal. Just how active do you – how many guys do you think they'll try to bring in via the portal? Um, I think it depends on where the high school class finishes at, but yeah. I, I think we're talking 10 to 12 type of deal. I, they're going to try to really boost their roster. I, you know, I, I think I previously said eight to nine, similar to last year with the APR idea. I think that number can increase slightly. As many de- as possible. Yeah, it also depends on if uh, the NCAA adjusts uh, scholarship limit, both the 25 and the 85. If those things come into play, it adjusts the numbers of what you can do. There you go. And that's it. I've emptied out the mailbag. Um, we'll be back on Monday. We'll have a special podcast after Mike Norvell speaks on Monday and we have an interview for you guys. Um, it's a bye week. Have a great weekend. I know we will. We'll see you. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to On the Bench. We're on the pit. which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. 